Well, we're in a series called Essential Faith. I didn't know if you noticed the reading from Hebrews 11, the phrase that was repeated. <laughs> they would use a guy's name, a person's name, and they would say, by faith, by faith. These men of old lived, and you and I are to live by faith. Today we're going to talk about faith promises. So we've, in this series, we started with the question, what is faith? Um, any relation, Christianity is a relationship with the Almighty. Any relationship requires trust. Faith and trust are similar words. And so, if I'm going to have a relationship with God, I've got to be able to trust Him. So, what is the basis of that trust? How can I trust Him? And maybe you've lost trust in Him, lost your faith, or your faith is wavering. Well, why is that? So, that's what we've been trying to figure out. First week, we talked about what is the foundation of our faith? What's the foundation? Foundations are critical to a building. Uh, you can't stand unless it has good foundation. What is the foundation of faith? And we found out that for many of us, we struggle with something I call circumstantial faith, which is not <laughs> a good thing to put your foundation on. Circumstantial faith is trying to figure out what God is like by looking around at your circumstances. So, it's kind of up and down because sometimes good things happen to us and we say, thank you, God. Sometimes not so good things happen, so God, eh, I'm not so thankful right now. <clears throat> so we try and figure out what God is like by our interpretation of circumstances. So a good God wouldn't let this happen, so he's not a good God. Or a good God would make, let this happen and it didn't happen. So... We also try and, figure out a, try and figure out a formula to get God to do what we want Him to do. You ever figure, if you thought about it, that's what you were doing? Well, if I, if I spend some time praying and I'm reading my Bible, and if I show up on church some Sundays, uh, or at least watch it online, and give some money, um, God's going to do good things for me. And then we tweak it, and things maybe aren't going so well. Maybe we spend more time praying and reading the Bible. All these things are good but not with the purpose of getting God to do our bidding. That's not what faith is, and often we, I think we fall into that trap. And so circumstantial faith is very fragile, and if you've had your faith uh, kind of crumble or weaken, my first guess is that because it's some aspect of it is circumstantial. <clears throat> so it's fragile because of the pressures of life, things don't go as we want, or the pleasures of life make faith inconvenient. And so we have circumstantial faith. So we found out, we talked about the true foundation of our faith is an historical event, an historical person named Jesus. It's not because we got an answer to prayer or not because things turned out like we wanted not something we just saying about a miracle because some miracle happened. I believe in miracles, but that's not the foundation of my faith. So 2,000 years ago, this man named Jesus walked this earth, lived a perfect life. That's amazing in itself. Um, predicted his death and resurrection. Pulled it off. Died, <laughs> suffered and died, tortured rose from the dead, was seen by hundreds and hundreds of people, resurrected, and then ascended into heaven. That's the foundation 
of my faith. So if that's a foundation of my faith, an historical event and person, history doesn't change. <laughs> and so that's a solid, solid foundation. So last week we tried to come up with a definition. Now, I got a lot of uh, help from you folks. They were great ideas. But I wanted a definition that wasn't too short, <laughs> but was short enough to m memorize, so to speak, and then that would actually help me understand what faith was or wasn't in a biblical circumstance that I might read about or a personal circumstance that I might be in. Now, I didn't get any suggested tweaks to this definition this week. I got some more definitions, but if you think there's some better word or another way to say this, please, we, I would love to hear from you. So here's the definition. Actually, my wife and I came up with <laughs> after reading lots of things. Absolute confidence that God is who He says He is. We talked about critical component is God's character. I have faith or trust in my wife because I know her character. She's been trustworthy for 45 years, and hopefully she can trust me. Um, so, character is critical. And when your faith and my faith wavers, it's because we, I think we have a not-so-accurate idea about God's character. So character is important and then that he will do everything is promised. Promises are important. I have faith in what God has promised me. If he hasn't promised me that, I cannot have faith. Uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. <clears throat> and faith, uh, promises are dependent on the person giving them capability. I can promise you a million bucks. Don't trust me for that because <laughs> I don't have it to give you, all right? So when God promises you or I something, no one can stop him from doing it. So I can have faith that it will come to be or happen. Faith is projected into the future. So in Rome, uh, Romans, Hebrews chapter 11, chapter, uh, verse 1, there's a definition of faith that involves the word hope. So what is the connection between faith and and hope. And last week we said it this way. The bridge between hope and faith are the promises of God. I can hope for lots of things. I can ask God for lots of things. I cannot have complete faith, absolute belief that's going to happen unless it's based on a promise from God. And we used an illustration of a guy that was had leprosy in Scripture, came to Jesus and said, please heal me. He begged him to heal me. He said, if you're willing, that's the caveat. I don't have a promise from you, God, that you're going to heal, heal my leprosy, but I really would like you to if you're willing. So that was hope. Wasn't a faith because there was no promise. In his case, God was willing. So hopefully that's helpful. Today we're going to ta tackle a different topic. <laughs> if I, faith is based on promises of God, what has God promised me? Pretty important, right? What can I have faith in and what can I just hope for? <clears throat> I can't have faith that God's going to give me everything I want. In fact, if you give your kids everything they want, what would, how would they turn out? What's the word we would use? Spoiled brats, right? Two, two words. Everybody got that one pretty easily. <laughs> so if God gave us everything we wanted, we'd be spoiled brats too. So that's not what faith is about. So I can ask, and we'll talk about that later, we can t ask him for 
things we do not have promises for, but we cannot have faith in it. <clears throat> so I thought I'd start with some things God hasn't promised us that some people think He has. All right? What has God not promised you? These are things that we would like God's cooperation in. But the key is this, who's God? He is, I'm not. So he gets to decide. So I am begging him for certain things, but ultimately he's God and I'm not. <clears throat> so to try and figure out things that God has promised us and not, a good test is the life of Jesus and the life of his followers we have recorded in, in the Bible called the book of Acts. All right? So we kind of run those filter through these, these I, I don't know, four or five things I've got listed. So here's some things I can't have faith in. I can hope for maybe, but I can't have faith in because God's not promised them. First one's this, that he'll keep bad things from happening to us. Wouldn't you wish that was a promise? Uh, but he hasn't promised that. And so when bad things happen to you and you say, okay, God, there's some problem with you, no, 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 no. He didn't promise you that bad things would, in fact, he promised you just the opposite. This is a sinful world, and we're going to read, read, read something he said about that. <clears throat> so, let's think about Jesus. Let's think about his disciples. Did bad things happen to his disciples? That's what we can tell almost all of them were persecuted. Um, most of them probably died prematurely because of their faith were, were martyred or executed. Uh, John was, was stuck out on an island by himself. He lived a long life. Um, bad things happened to them. What about Jesus? Oh, his life was a bed of roses, right? Yeah, I mean, even when things were going well, that they were draining him. The crowds were draining him, wanting things from him. And then eventually they turn on him <laughs> Uh, he gets arrested, he gets falsely tried, accused, he gets beaten, tortured, and eventually dies. So, if your faith is based on bad things not happening to you, you're off track. <laughs> God didn't promise you that. Second thing, and here's one that just kind of irks me because some of these TV preachers preach this. Uh, doesn't make sense to me, I can't understand it, but anyway that all of them would be wealthy, all right? Let's think about the disciples. Were they wealthy? Uh, there's no record of them having a lot of wealth. Um, can't really tell, but we can tell about Jesus. There's no record of him even having much of anything. In fact, he had to have one of the disciples catch a fish to pay his taxes. Remember that story? Some of you do. So, Jesus wasn't wealthy. The disciples weren't wealthy. There's no scripture that promises that you and I will be wealthy. So, if you're not wealthy, God didn't promise you that. Now, I'm going to give you a caveat here in that second. In fact, one of the reasons that the early church had credibility with the society they were in is because they believed in this Jesus when it really didn't seem to benefit them. Why would they do that? Because, again, he predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off. So anything else that happens, I'm going to believe. But on the other hand, you and I are wealthy, especially if you've been overseas any place. It becomes pretty obvious. I didn't check it, but my guess is that 
at least you and I are, in, even if you're on, you know, retirement income, we are probably in the top 10%, more likely the top 5% of the world's population, materially speaking. That makes us pretty wealthy. Maybe not the top 1%, but you and I are wealthy. So hopefully you thank God for your material blessings that you, you have living in this country. But He hasn't promised that you will be wealthy. Another thing He hasn't promised, <laughs> that all of us will be healed. In fact, it's kind of silly because we're all going to eventually die, right? <laughs> so there's going to be a non-healing event that ends in our death. But he didn't promise that. There's this story where Jesus is, comes across this, this pool where these sick people are all around the pool. And uh, there was this belief, and they must have had some reason to believe this, that when the waters kind of stirred, it was an angel or God doing something, if you were the first person jumping in, you get healed. Second one, not so much. Now, I don't know why it was limited to the first person. Uh, but he comes across this guy who had been laying by this pool for 38 years years. That's basically his lifespan. And he was crippled, so he never, you know, he never got in there first. So he never got healed, but he must have saw people healed because he hung in there. So Jesus comes by, and I'm imagining he's got to work, work his way through the crowd because there'd be more than just this one man there. He comes to this man, he says, uh, you don't have to wait any longer. I'll hear you. Get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. Now, is there any indication he healed any of the other people around the pool? No, and you, there are other times that Jesus did healings, and he didn't heal everybody. And so, healing is not a promise from God. Uh, another one. Uh, oh, we, we don't like this one. <laughs> uh, next one is this, that he will reverse the consequences of our bad decisions. Now, let me just say this. Sometimes we skirt by by the skin of our teeth, right? Sometimes you zoom past a uh, patrol officer and he doesn't stop you, even though you were going fast enough that he does stop. Or maybe he stops you and didn't give you a ticket, right? But other times you got the ticket, didn't you? He doesn't promise that you will not suffer the consequences of bad decisions. And we've all made bad decisions, maybe even worse, sinful decisions, and seem to get by with them, right? Nothing bad happened to us. The problem with that is, what is our temptation after that? Well, I got away with it last time. Maybe I'll get away with it again. So he doesn't promise this. Now, we're going to look at a concept of God that he does spare us sometimes. But he doesn't promise to spare us. And then one I mentioned last week, uh, real quickly, is this. That all our friends and relatives will be saved. Free will comes in here, and God doesn't promise me or that anybody that I know will be saved because it's up to them to decide. So I've had four kids. I've got like ten grandkids. Um, God's not promised me that, um, fortunately, most of them are Jesus followers. Uh, but when I look at the population, when I look at the Bible, I believe the minority of people are going to be Jesus followers. So there's seven billion people in the world. Four, five, six billion of them are not going to become Jesus followers. That's just the math. All right? So my friends and loved ones may fit into that. So, God, uh, I can't pray in faith that 
any person's going to be saved. I pray that they will be saved. It's a hope part, but not the faith part. <clears throat> so I thought I would start off with one of God's promises that we don't normally think about because it's one we don't like, all right? So here it is. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, last hours of his life here on earth. Here's what he says. I've told you all of this that you may have peace. That's a good thing, right? So you can read in, in John, there's a couple chapters, and he talks about peace. But then he says this. Here on earth you will have, those of you who are present, read the next four words with me. Many trials and sorrows. Good job. All right. Not even just trials and sorrows, but many trials and sorrows. This is a promise from Jesus. Not one we necessarily like, but it's a promise. So I can, I don't necessarily pray for trials and sorrows, do you? I don't think so. But uh, we can be sure they're going to happen. But, there's a but here. <laughs> Take heart, don't get discouraged, because I have overcome the world. <clears throat> so, what are some things God has promised us? Now, I can make a whole, long list. I'm going to zero in a couple big, big things that we can pray in faith about. So we're going to back to that uh, place we looked up our foundation. It was in Hebrews chapter 4. So beginning with four, verse 14, this is where we got our foundation. Inasmuch as that we believers have a great high priest, Jesus, who already ascended and passed through the heavens, and he's God, the Son of God, he intercedes for us. That's what high priest means. Let us hold fast to our confession of faith and cling tenaciously to our absolute trust in Him as our Savior. So that's the foundation of my faith is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's my foundation. That hasn't changed. Uh, then my foundation is never going to change. My faith doesn't have to waver based upon that. So then what does the author tell us? So you've got your foundation of your faith. He goes on and says, For we do not have this high priest who is unable to, this translation uses the word sympathize. Most translations use the word sympathize. In fact, only one I found said, use the word I think which is better here. I even checked the Greek, it's sympathize, is empathize. Because when you read the whole verse, what it really describes is Jesus empathizing. What's the difference? Sympathizing is, I feel sorry for you. I've never experienced that. You know, I've never had a child die. You know, I, I, I'm sympathetic to your, your pain, but I've never experienced that. Empathy? I can experience empathy. Actually, I had a daughter-in-law die, so that's pretty close. So I can empathize with that. So that's the difference. So think about it. Do you think Jesus just sympathizes with us or empathizes with us? Notice what it says after he understands our weakness and temptations. But one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human. That's one reason he came to earth, to experience humanity. In every aspect, or respect, this translation, some say aspect, as we are. So he's experienced it, basically said, I've been there, done that. Now I understand there's, He's never birthed a child. He wasn't a woman, for example. But within reason, he's experienced everything that you and I have experienced 
and critically without sin. So basically he says, when you come to, to Jesus with your sorrow and your pain and your, your, your concerns and your needs, he's basically saying, I understand. I've been there. Uh, I've experienced that. Uh, I know. I know. I know what you're, what you're dealing with. How awesome is that? That our almighty God can say, I know. I know. I know what it's like <laughs> to suffer. I'm going to give you a list of things that Jesus knew, uh, understands. Uh, for example, like us, Jesus spent a night dreading the events of the next day. You ever done that? Maybe it was going to see the doctor about some ache or pain. Maybe it's facing surgery the next day. Maybe it's, you know, seeing somebody that you're at odds with the next day. Um, maybe if you're really young, you've never experienced that. But even young people, I think, have. Spend a night. Well, what do you think about Jesus? Do you ever spend a night dreading the events of the next day? You know, you don't know what that doctor's report's going to be. You may know not how that event's going to turn out the next day. That last night of Jesus' life, do you think he understood what was going to happen the next day? He knew. He knew he was going to be whipped. He knew he was going to be crucified. And he understood crucifixion better than you and I did because he, he saw it. So Jesus understands when you and I have one of those events. Another thing, rejected and betrayed by a family or close friend. You ever experienced that? One of the most difficult things about being a pastor, being in the ministry, is this. People you can trust it, people you considered your friend, betraying you or rejecting you. And I've got scars. And if I think about some of these folks in the past, it's like your heart gets ripped out. And it's just really difficult. So we've experienced, think Jesus experienced anything like that? One of his 12 disciples betrayed him. Uh, eventually when he died on the cross, how many followers did he have? Zero. They all deserted him. You ever been deserted? Jesus understands. Another thing, saw all the things, everything he worked for crumble around him. Yeah, when he died, there was no Jesus followers. I don't know if you've ever had, maybe it was a marriage crumble around you. Maybe it was a, a health issue. Maybe it was a job relationship, whatever it might be. We've experienced it. Jesus experienced This is the amazing one. Face crushing temptation. Now, you and, all, you and I give in to temptation. And sometimes if it's an addiction, we just can't not do it, right? Uh, it seems to crush us. Well, <clears throat> you and none of us have faced the temptations that Jesus faced. Remember that thing, without sin? Can you imagine living your whole life resisting every opportunity to sin? So whatever you're facing, it's not... And, and Satan, if he could get Jesus to, to sin, he would have won. So there's three major temptations of Jesus. And Satan didn't leave him alone after that, just for a season. He was able to resist that. One thing I think is really interesting to think about, Jesus had 
a clarity of life that you and I will never have. In reality, you and I walk through a fog in life, a fog of sin. We've been tainted or affected by sin. Jesus never had that. He had perfect clarity. So he, I'm not going to do that. That's sin. That's not good. He had perfect clarity. It's amazing. So, what's the author say next? Let us come boldly or confidently to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive His mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. So, what has God promised us? Tells us a couple things here in this verse. First one is mercy. Mercy. Um, and we approach God, it says here boldly, we approach God boldly, it means we don't have formality. I uh, put that on, put it on the screen. Formality is in, in, enemy of intimacy. That's hard to say. Enemy of intimacy. Uh, we want intimacy with God. Uh, if I'm so formal, God, you're just out there and I, I can't, you know, come into your presence. That limits our faith. So Jesus said, call him Father. And hopefully you've had a good father experience or you know what a good father should be. That's the intimacy that you and I should have with God. And so we can express our emotions, extreme emotions. He knows them anyway. And so that produces intimacy, sharing of our lives. <clears throat> so, what has God promised you? What has God promised you? All right? Because faith is based on the promises of God and character of God. Well, in that verse, he mentions one biggie is mercy. Mercy. Saying, God takes your situation seriously, and He wants to be merciful to you. Now, sometimes it's tangible. You actually can see it. You're lonely, and all of a sudden, somebody pops up in your life. You've got a new friend. Uh, maybe it's a, a financial situation, and you, some, you have some unexpected money. Sometimes it's tangible. Other times it's not. God's shown His mercy to you, but it's not an external thing. I put it this way on the outline. Sometimes nothing seems to change externally, but we are changed. Because of God's mercy, I used to be anxious, and now I'm at peace. I used to be angry, but now I'm calm, whatever it might be. And another thing about mercy is mercy is not pity. Oh, I just feel sorry for you. Mercy implies action. Uh, there's a story where Jesus had the, his family friends. There was uh, two sisters and a brother that we know of, and the brother dies. And Jesus comes to the funeral, and... He weeps with them, but he takes action, and he actually brings Lazarus back to life. So one of the things Jesus promises is mercy. The other thing that verse he promises is what? Remember the other word? Anybody? Grace. Good. Good job. Grace. He promises us grace. I came across a quote, and hopefully I get it right this service. <laughs> Isn't it comforting here, uh, to worship a God that you cannot exaggerate? 
I thought, well, that's a pretty neat thought. So I cannot exaggerate God's mercy. I cannot exaggerate God's grace. We call it amazing. I cannot exaggerate God's love. <clears throat> so in this case, I'm going to use this definition of grace as it applies to this situation. Strength, ability, or energy to endure. So, rocky marriage, financial problems, physical problems, relationship issues, you've got a wayward child, uh, whatever it might be. Grace to get through, endure the situation. I came across this, I thought was a quote, we couldn't, we Googled it, couldn't find the author, but here it is, something he's probably familiar with. God has not promised to deliver us from our circumstances. All right? God, I got a bad circumstance. Take it away. He's never promised to do that. What grace is, He's promised to deliver us through them, that you'll be able to endure. Now, I understand this isn't emo very emotionally satisfying, isn't it? Because we want Him to take us out of it. But that's not what He promises us. What we really want is intervention. He wants Him to take, change it. Uh, but He doesn't do that. So, we do live in an age of mercy and grace. God is often merciful and God is often gracious. Um, but we also live in a world of sin, sorrow, and death. One day will come an end to sin, sorrow, and death. Because God is gracious and merciful. So what can you expect from God? We asked you this last week. Whatever He's promised. So you can expect grace. You can expect mercy. What can you ask God? Ask of God? Anything. No promise? Hope. Promise? Faith. <clears throat> so I'm going to give you three things you can... Three biggies. Mention two of them. Three biggies that God has promised, that you can take to the bank, you can have faith in. First one, He's promised His presence. And man, that's, a, that's almost as big as it gets. I promise God's presence. He never leaves me or forsakes me. I'm never alone. How awesome is that? That's His promise. Secondly, His grace. You're going to have give the strength to endure, to get through whatever it is. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you're going, I know. Sometimes you don't feel like you're going to get But that's what He's promised. So I say, God, you promised me I can get through this. And His mercy. So, what about when God says no? God, here's what I would like you to do. No, nope, not going to do it. That's what I'd like you to think about this week because that's my topic for next week. Something I think we're all interested in because we've all experienced it, right? So, let me pray with you and let you go. Father God, thank you. We thank you that you are gracious and that you're merciful. And those of us that are Jesus followers, we've experienced that in a life transformation we call salvation. We accepted your gift of forgiveness. Step across that line. We are now in relationship with you, God, and we can call you Heavenly Father. What an awesome privilege that is. So we'll just take a second and, and pray for those folks that are here or listening that never, never did that. Uh, or maybe you, you grew up in church and then 
then, then left. We pray that today would be the day you would understand God's grace and mercy and your need for Him. Sometimes we think that people as they get older are less likely to become believers. I think it's just the opposite. The longer you live, the more you realize the futility of life, the sorrow. God, there's got to be something better. So if that's something you decision you're making or you're thinking about making, please uh, let us know. We'd like to help. Father God, we thank you that we can call you Father, that you never leave us nor forsake us, and that you go with us as we leave this place. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.